The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode number 49, Puppy Puke. Listener questions about radar and instrument approach lights. Currency versus proficiency. Our picks of the week and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast episode number 49. And joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation transients, starting with our first transient, Mr. Carl Valeri. Uh, yeah, joining us from, which, which, which studio are you in today? Are I'm, you in, I'm in the Southern studio in, in sunny Southern, Florida. The, winter, the wintering studio down in Southern Florida. Well, welcome. Glad to have you on the show Thank today. You. Uh, next is Victoria Nouvel. How are you today? I'm good. I'm actually watching a storm outside of my window approach. It's pretty cool. Fantastic. Those storms, I tell you what, the storms have been wicked this week. With uh, well, Actually, I'll tell you that story real quick after we, we introduce everybody. Uh, Mr. Rick Felty joining us yes, sir. from his studio all the way in Massachusetts. How are you? Good. Holding down the fort here in New England for you, sir. <laughs> aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? Where are you, where, pray tell? Where, are you, where, where am I? <laughs> My audio quality is not as it's at its normal standard quality today because I am actually in my car sitting in the employee parking lot at the end of runway 10 left at Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. I've heard uh, of that. Yeah. Little story that goes along with that, as a matter of fact, uh, between tornadoes and thunderstorms and spending time in the men's room with my closest friends and strangers at the uh, airport in Arkansas because of a tornado siren. Uh, Yeah, it's been an interesting week with flight delays uh, due to weather. And uh, so I just got in very late and uh, this is how it's going to go. Oh, we've got an airplane taking off now. Awesome. American Airlines 767 bound for who knows where. Bon voyage, gentlemen and ladies. Okay, back to the show. But wow. um, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm going to be uh, I'm kind of kind of going to be shy and tuned out in the background today because I will actually have to concentrate on uh, on driving home. But uh, I did want to mention that our our, um, our our host, our guest co-host, excuse me, our additional co-host, Mr. Sean Moody, is not able to join us tonight. Let's do the pre-flight. But we do have a fun show of topics. Uh, to uh, to get us through anyhow starting with a couple of announcements from um from carl uh yeah actually i have four of them i'll try to get through them quickly because june is an exciting month for air shows and the the one that i'm going to start off with is actually at the end of the month june 29th it's in the los angeles area it's called lakeview terrace california i don't know exactly where that is but it's uh, somewhere in the Los Angeles area at Handsome Dam Sports Complex, and it's the American Heroes Air Show. I like to always give a shout-out to that because it's one of the few free 
helicopter shows out there, and it really promotes uh, aviation both uh, in the military and also in in the police forces. So definitely get there and, and take a look at that if you're in the West Coast. Now coming to the East Coast, let's let's do this. We're going to go transcontinental here. We're going to head on over to. Teterboro, New Jersey, and at Teterboro, New Jersey, on June 15th and 16th, this is Father's Day weekend, and there's lots of air shows, but if you can make it out to Wings and Wheels Air Expo 2013, there's going to be a lot of World War II airplanes out there in Teterboro, New Jersey. Teterboro is like the busiest general aviation airport out there, and they have this air show that is just wonderful and a really cool aviation history museum. So if you get a chance, take a, a look through there. Again, that's going to be in Teterboro, New Jersey, and that's going to be at uh, the New Jersey Aviation Hall of Fame in uh, Teterboro, New Jersey. It's Munaki, I think is the name of the town also. Now, if you're in New Jersey and you're there a week prior to that, there's another neat event, which is... Actually, the first B-25 that I actually volunteered on, uh, it's called Briefing Time, and it's part of the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum. And they have this thing called the World War II Weekend, and it's a gathering of warbirds they have this year. And it's uh, June 7th, 8th, and 9th, and they'll have Briefing Time, which is a, a B-25, and they'll also have all sorts of reenactors uh, walking around. As a matter of fact, last, or no, it wasn't last year, a couple years ago, I can't remember when, I actually had lunch with General Patton. And it was awesome. I sat next to him. He's just a neat, neat fellow. But these people really get into their roles, and sometimes you feel like you are part of that airfield. The coolest thing is they actually have like buildings made up just like it was back in World War II in Europe and the United States, et cetera, and, and also in the uh, South Pacific. So if you get this is a neat event to bring your, your father to. Again, that's on, uh, right before Father's Day, but it's uh, 7th, 8th, and 9th. Now, the next event, okay, so that, again, is going to be uh, in Mid-Atlantic Air Museum. Uh, didn't say the airport, though, on that one. It's in Redding, Redding, Pennsylvania, which is more in, uh, you know, eastern, central type of Pennsylvania there. So, Redding, Pennsylvania. The next event, which I think is, is one, of my, one of the events I've, I've been wanting to go to, and one of my favorite events to watch from afar, because all the aviation podcasters and and radio folks are going to be out there. David Allen with other people's airplanes. Air, airplane geeks will be out there. Uh, there's going to be the folks from uh, Florida with uh, Flight Time Radio. They will all be out there reporting. Unfortunately, I can't make it. Maybe one of us will be there. You never know. It's become a pilot day, and that's over at the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum at the Udvar Hazy Center right next door. And I have a couple of friends that actually fly in this every year. Uh, one's bringing the steerman in. And uh, they have air shows. They have lectures. They have all sorts of tours, book signings, activities for the kids. It really is a family event, and it's terrific. You don't have to you know, want to get up in an airplane and fly, although they're trying to promote becoming a pilot. They just want you to get out there and, and just show your passion for aviation because so many people are into this. And the people that... Uh, have been out there in the years past. Uh, again, the airplane geeks, they've done a wonderful job reporting, so they definitely will be there this year. I was actually invited to come uh, to do some interviews. Unfortunately, uh, with my new job, I'm low man on totem pole, so I won't be able to make it there. But I'm not sure if any of us, that's going to be my last event that I talk about. If you get a chance, go to the uh, Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, and you'll click on Become a Pilot. We'll have it, all these things I talk about will be on the show notes. Cool. So that's four different things. Wow. Whew, that's a lot. That's a lot. June is crazy. <laughs> It is. June is one of the, oh, it is. It's hard to decide which air show you're going to go to. I mean, you could take a stone and throw it. You probably hit an air show. 
Wow. Maybe. So I was, I was, <laughs> never I'm heard that. <laughs> That's great. I've never heard anyone say that before. <laughs> Maybe. So I'm not entirely sure if I'll be able to make that event, but that was one on my list that I was planning around my, uh, my work schedule. So I'll be finding out here in the next few days, my availability. And uh, I did want to actually interrupt for a moment and give a disclaimer to, to, uh, to just to, from a safety standpoint, I did say I was in the car, but I want I want you to know that I am driving safely with the handset on uh, on the on the console here, and I've got a wire a wire going to the head and everything. So I'm uh, you know ten and two, baby, ten and two. Interest to safety. I got yeah. the hands on the wheel. I'm concentrating right. on driving. So like I said, if I if you don't hear from me, it's because I might be busy honking and swearing in the in the traffic. Cool. <laughs> now entering cruise flight. Anyway, we do have, like we said earlier, we do have some fun topics for everybody. And um, I think, was it uh, Victoria we were going to hear from first? We were going to talk about some things from Victoria. Yeah. um, I just wanted to give a little bit of an update because I think when we first started podcasting, one of my first topics was flying with pets. And to that point, my only experience had been flying with Quilson, our hedgehog. And it turns out uh, Quilson the Hedgehog loves to fly. In fact, I think he prefers it over uh, being on the ground because he's much happier up in the air. Um, but now that we have a dog, we, we took him up. And I, my original plan when we got a puppy was for him to fly around with us. And I wanted to work him up gradually to it. You know, start him in the t- taxiing in the airplane so he gets used to the noises and the vibration. And then do, you know, just some pattern work. And then maybe, you know, a little farther out and slowly work our way to big trips. Um, unfortunately, I found him and fell in love with him. And he would have been a four-hour drive to adopt. Mm. So we flew to get him. And... I came prepared. I got a towel to put on my lap in case he had an accident. I got some cotton balls to put in his ears because he didn't have his own headset yet. Got some toys and some treats to distract him. Uh, We flew over to this airport in West Virginia and picked him up and um, put him in the plane after we made sure he relieved himself outside. And he fell right asleep. I think most puppies, all they do is they play for a little bit and then fall asleep. (laughs) And... He slept for probably, I think it was an hour flight home, just fine. In fact, we thought we killed him because nice. <laughs> we landed and he was still just like deflated on my lap, like wow. whatever. And uh, Bob was flying because I was making sure the puppy was okay. And he's like, is he alive? And I was like moving his arm up and down. And finally his little tongue came out and he started like licking me. And wow. He was all right. So his first flight was no problem. And then we took him on another... Um, flight shortly thereafter uh, just around um, once we got his headset in see how he liked that and believe it or not I think he knew once he got in the airplane that the headset made things quieter Mm. and it was much more comfortable than the cotton balls in his ears wow what kind of headset like a regular aviation headset it's a mutt muffs muffs. actually is my pick of the week Um, (laughs) but yeah we put those on and um he knew, you know, he knew it was quieter and more comfortable. So now, you know, whenever the engine starts, I always wait till the engine starts because otherwise they're on, they kind of bug them. Mm-hmm. Um, once the engine starts, they go on. And he has been completely fine, enjoying every minute of it, of it. basically as enjoying, I mean, sleeping. The dog is never awake in the airplane. Um, <laughs> even a two and a half hour trip to Michigan the other day, sleep the whole time. I did like force him up to watch takeoff. I don't think he realizes 
what's going on really. Right. Um, so now but, has he, cause I know you got him as a puppy. Is he yes. gotten bigger? Is he still sitting in your lap? Is he going to be a, he's, is he a lap dog kind of size or? Yes. He's lap dog size. Mm-hmm. When we got him, we were told he was a Pomeranian mix and was going to stay small. So I was expecting 10 pounds max. He's 17 pounds now. Um, he's getting a little uh-huh. big. Luckily we want to upgrade our plane at some point cause it's not as comfortable as it could be. Like if he needs to readjust, I need to readjust him and make sure he doesn't hit the stick. So he fits on one whole leg now and he could bump that stick. Hmm. Um, my other concern is, you know, he's not, um, tied down, even though he's laying sleeping, he's perfectly fine. Uh, we were flying to Virginia to go camping. It was Turbo's first camping trip. And we went over some mountains that had major turbulence. I was flying. Turbo was on my lap sleeping. But we started hitting these bumps where um, our heads hit the ceiling twice. Um, That's how abrupt it was. And I had to quickly say, Bob, take the plane because I had to hold the dog. Wow. So, you know, he's got a thing that can hook him up. Someone donated and gave it to us because their dog passed away and gave us all their flying dog stuff. So we have this nice little harness that can hook to the seatbelt, but we don't have a four-seat airplane. Right. Um, so that that is a concern. Um, I don't think I'd ever fly with him solo unless, you know, he had his harness on and it was hooked up. Because I've heard great things about dogs flying, just sleeping, just looking out the window and enjoying it. But I've heard other things where this one guy took his dog for a flight and he was fine taxiing second he took off the dog flipped out and the guy had a lot of trouble getting down to land yeah um wow so there there are some concerns so turbulence and you know it's always nice to have another person there he's never had an accident Hmm. until recently um (laughs) oh (laughs) i now have a doggy emergency bag which i suggest everyone have like Hmm. that first trip I had, you know, his toys ready. I had a blanket. Well, now I want to also keep Purell and um, some Ziploc baggies. We were IFR, flying home from Michigan. Turbo had had a stomach ache because he ate things he shouldn't have because he does that all the time. The other day he had um, a bowl of Jolly Ranchers complete with the wrappers. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. He's got an appetite. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So... That gives you an idea of how often, you know, he can run into bodily issues. So we're flying along, solid IFR, and he starts to do the heaving. You knew he was going to throw up, and I was like, you know, Bob. I I forget if I was flying or he was flying, but I made sure Bob was flying, and I did all I could. I looked around. There was nothing to catch it in. So there goes my hands right under his mouth, and I caught his debris. And I wasn't feeling good. I had a stomach ache. So smelling that uh, kind of oh, made it worse. Yeah. And I had to like tilt it all into one hand and like try to reach in the back of the plane and find something right. to put it in. I had 45 minutes to still fly wow. <laughs> and you know, handful of puke. Luckily, I had some Ziploc bags, so I threw it in the Ziploc bag, found some water, washed off my hands, wiped it on an old shirt of Bob's, not mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he was, it was solid IMC. He could not tear away from the controls to help me. Right. You know, so I'm digging around, finding all this stuff with the pukes washing around in my hands. So 
I highly recommend, even though your dog is amazing at flying, he had flown at least seven or eight times before that with no issues. And hmm. You probably would have thrown up if we were on the ground, but I highly recommend having an emergency bag with, you know, towel, um, Purell. Right. <laughs> I Something's really wanted that. Me. Ziploc bags. Wow. Things like that. That's good. That's, so, good. that's, that's what I've learned. Since that's, I my, bet. That's my good. Last, my last podcast. <laughs> you know, it's interesting as you were talking, one thing that came to my mind is like safety with an animal on the airplane. You know, I wonder if anybody's actually done, say, a safety seminar on that because, gosh, you know, you, like you said, you knew someone, that the, the dog freaked out. It's uh, what would really be cool. I, I have an idea for your next airplane, by the way. No, you, should okay. get, you should get a 182 and then take out the back seats and put like a big, you know, fence there or, you know, like you have in a car. Put yeah. all your stuff in there and let the dog just wander around. Yeah, he'd just fall asleep. Yeah, but a big doggy <laughs> bed back there. I think that's cool. See, 182's too slow. So, you know, I want something fast. Bob still wants experimental. I want some more seats, so it looks like we're going to have to, like, go crazy Lancer or something. Lancer, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Who knows? But, but safety is a good thing. I mean, he can be distracting because mm -hmm. even just his cuteness is distracting. I find myself when he's in my passenger seat and I'm just driving down the road, I want to look at him because he's sitting there looking all cute and looking out the window and doing things. So especially when you're in the case like we were IFR, you have to concentrate on the task at hand, which is flying the plane, especially when you're in the clouds. You don't want to end up upside down with a doggy on your windshield. So, um, you know, got to pay attention to the task at hand and the, the dog is second, but you got to make sure the dog hmm. is secure and well-behaved to, you know, achieve all that. So. And I think your approach, what you said for most people to you know, kind of step through it with uh, increased, mm -hmm. um, you know, accident, you know, engine noise, um, you know, all the different steps that, that would get a dog acclimated, except in your case, you didn't need to do that. I know. We, we got lucky. I mean, any puppy needs to get acclimated to anything, like just how they have to be socialized when you first get them. Everything's new and different to them. And, you know, they explore through licking and sniffing and, you know, things like that. So it, um, we, we, we got lucky and I'm sure most pets will be just fine, but I'm, I always want to be prepared since my throw up incident. I don't want that to happen to anyone else. It was very uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. Good. Heads up. Yes. Hands up. Something. Something. <laughs> handful of puke, by the way. Handful of puke, by the way. Little known fact. Band I was in in high school. Are really? you serious? No, that's a handful joke. Handful of that's puke. A, that's a joke. <laughs> Sorry. Well, now we need to start one. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Be a great band name. <laughs> handful of puke. I wonder if anybody's ever done the, this whole flying around with cats. I know you don't hear that too often. Um, but if I had, you know, I just got a new cat. Just got a new kitten. And who knows, meow, maybe one day. As a matter of fact, the reason I'm doing this, I'm actually recording in the living room, and uh, I, ha I gave up my room to the little one so that uh, oh. they can acclimate to the house. But I was thinking, gosh, that would be cool to take them on a trip. Uh, they don't like the car so much. I'm not so sure how well they do in an airplane. I'd you know, be curious if anybody, any of the listeners would uh, be able to comment on that. You know, have you ever flown with your cat, and how did, you, how did they react, and, right. and do you fly often with them? That would be kind of interesting to hear back. So if you have any huh. comments, that would be neat to, to hear those. Just you know, send us an email. Hey, uh, yeah, I'd like hey, to hear that too. My cat's a scaredy cat. <laughs> yeah. so. Hey, so, so, Len, what mile marker are you at? <laughs> mile marker. Uh, That's okay. Like, yeah, number uh, <laughs> probably seven of uh, 45. It's not, right. it's not a terribly long drive, right. but 
Yeah. Anyhow. <laughs> you know, I want to, besides just the cats, I want to hear about other pets. I know Patty Wagstaff flies with her um, bird. She has a bird that flies with her occasionally, and we got the hedgehog, so I'd like to see, uh, you know, snakes on planes or something. Need viewer, uh, listener pictures. Oh, wow. That's, I, I, I guess the bird's already used to flying, so yeah. it's a little higher. <laughs> never been this high before. <laughs> he's a little confused, right? He's trying to figure out how he flies around while he's flying around. My wings aren't flapping. <laughs> yeah. Not, not used to pulling G's either. Especially with Patty in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, if you look at, uh, by the way, that Pilots and Paws, if you, if you go to their Facebook page, they have all these different animals that they have pictures of. And when you said bird, I actually did. I found a bird. They had uh, they have a picture yeah. of a bird, but primarily all I'm seeing is doggies, and they uh, really cute pictures here, really really neat. So if you get a chance, check check that out. It's at Facebook uh, Pilots and Paws page. It's really really neat. Happy kitties and happy cats and dogs and everything. Happy critters. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I think they were on uh, was the Ellen uh, Ellen DeGeneres show. Uh, is that how you say her name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were on uh, uh, Compassion. Is actually another. Uh, I guess associated uh, organization or whatever. So, it's uh, it's like pictures of of rescue dogs. You ever heard of that compassion? So, it's Mm-mm, it's uh, just a that. side note, but it's pretty neat because Pilots and Paws actually has some animals in that, and that was part of that show. Neat stuff. Well, you know, I learned a new fact today. I didn't realize Carl watched the Ellen Show. Um, Ellen actually, is awesome. I, I, I know she is. I watched it. I just wanted to hear Carl say, "I like I got watching very Ellen." Offended. I, I actually I don't watch TV, so I, I'm not sure. That's why I couldn't get the name right. I know she's on. I've 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 seen it, but uh, maybe once I've seen the show. I'll have to watch it now. Now that she's brought Pilots and Paws into the picture, so now I'll watch her show. So she must be good, though. Popular show. That's so. Yeah, out, see, I am so out of touch. All I do is fly airplanes, talk about airplanes, think about airplanes. I know nothing about the you know this Ellen DeGeneres show. What is that? You know, I'm I'm, I'm clueless. It's, it's <laughs> I got to get a life outside aviation. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, eventually I watched Friends. You know, I haven't. I still have any of that. Uh, I actually disowned. Yeah, so. I know. I'll get there. I'll get around to it. Just too much, having too much fun with aviation. But uh, that's terrific, though, uh, Victoria. I think that's cool that you you guys get to fly around with your dog. That's that's like the ultimate. You know, you bring your companion with you wherever you go and. And what better way to do it than in an airplane? It used to be Bob. Now it's the dog. Yeah, Bob's been replaced with a (laughs) hairier Hairier. A cuter, more cuddlier little individual. They're both hairy animals. What am I talking about? Yeah. Notice how many times she said Bob and Turbo in this whole, you know, podcast here. She didn't mention Bob much, but Turbo she did quite a bit. He has been replaced. He's just a husband. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's very cool, though. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. It's fun. Yeah, well, we appreciate the update, and um, I know Carl, you you actually did get um, some questions through some listener mail that we were going to talk okay. about today as well. So why don't you share that with us? Yeah, actually, um, they're both IFR questions, and I had uh, so maybe I'll go over over one of them, and then we'll go on to maybe a a little discussion here about getting ready for uh, for the summer because that that was actually it wasn't a listener mail the, about getting ready for the summer it was actually in person uh, that we discussed this but let me get on to the question that uh, uh, from a listener about some IFR flying let's go into some instrument flying and 
the the listener wrote in and asked about a uh, approaches and approach charts. And if you look on your approach plate, so you're doing the ILS, and I think he was talking about uh, Sarasota, but it doesn't it doesn't matter. I'll we'll have some examples and some links to some runways, and I'll, I'll use Sarasota as an example during the in the links. But you look at a chart, and it's an ILS, and it says radar required. Okay, and you're like, okay. Now, why do I need radar required there? And I look at the same runway, different approach chart. It's the VOR to that runway, and I don't need any radar. It says it might say DME required, you know, or radar required. It might say both DME or radar required, but it, it may not say anything. Now, the reason they put that symbol on there, radar required. Think about this, and this is uh, this confuses a lot of people. So again, you're looking at a chart and it says radar required and you're like why does it say that well you have to remember that there there has to be a way for you as you're flying IFR to get from the en route structure onto the approach and actually shoot the approach or the letdown procedure as they say so how do you do that well you have to be able to navigate to a point in space well with an certain ILS approaches there there may not be that ability to get to that point there may not be an ILS with DME there may not be, and in that case we have DME required, but there may not be any way to get from that in-route structure, say, to the outer marker, okay? Say, that, say there's no way to get there. Maybe there is no marker. So you'll see that on Sarasota. So you actually have to have radar so that the controllers can actually get you on the approach. Remember this. When you're, when you're told to actually to perform an approach, and this goes back to an accident that happened in Washington, D.C. many years ago, the one thing the controller is going to say to you is, the, say, say, you know, turn right heading of uh, 360, maintain 3000, you're cleared for the ILS runway 22. Now, when they say that, and, you know, excuse me, and then they'll tell you how far you are. You're five miles from the marker. The reason they tell you how far you are from the marker is that they want to give you how far you are from a point in space because you really don't know how far you are from any place other than them telling you that. And the reason they do that is because there was an accident years ago where they cleared some, they said, send maintain 3,000, you're clear for the approach. They didn't tell them how far they were. They, mis they used a different nav aid, and they accidentally descended into a hill and crashed. So that's the reason. You want to be able to use, you have to be able to go to a point in space and then use those letdown procedures. So let's get back to the VOR. A VOR does not need, usually, you don't need to, have radar because where's that VOR? It's on the field normally, not always. There are some that, you, that that's not true, but you can actually pass over that VOR, you fly outbound, and you do a procedure turn, and then you come back inbound and land. Well, here's here's an interesting one though. If so, that's that's why you don't see DME required on many many VOR approaches. Well, people say, well, wait a minute. What if I don't have DME? You know, can I still do this approach? I mean, it does, how do I know how far I am? Well, you know your ground speed, and you can actually time it. To, and it, say that it says to stay within 10 miles. Well, if you're doing 90 knots, a mile and a half a minute, you go outbound for a minute, turn left for a minute, and do a, a 180, come back in and intercept it inbound. You still stay within 10 miles. So again, getting back to that radar required, it's, I'm not going to talk specifically to an, a, an approach, but in general, there has to be a way to get from the in-route structure onto the letdown procedure. And if you have no way of doing that on the chart, 
then you need radar because you need a controller to get you onto the approach. Does that make sense? Crickets, to- totally. Crickets, crickets. Okay. No, no, it does. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that, that that's, uh, and it, does he have any questions, by the way, Rick or Victoria on that one? Did I? No, I think you explained it well. I mean, I, and I don't even, you know, I don't even fly instruments and I that get That was it. actually helpful for me because I'm in need of an IPC and going to start doing all that again soon. You know, it's, it's amazing how quickly Good. you can become rusty. So having explanations like that versus just, you know, following the motions of what you're supposed to do, um, I think will be really helpful. And, and remember that that uh, radar required is usually defined in the TERPS, uh, the Terminal Procedures Manual, and you can actually look at that TERPS online, but uh, it's, uh, it's really interesting how they put these together because there are times when you will see radar required and you think that you'll be able to navigate to a point in space, and you're like, no, no, I can see that. It's right there, but but you really can't. So you have to look at that and see, you know, can you navigate to that point in space to be able to do that letdown procedure? That's one of the reasons you have radar required in that, in that case. Interesting, uh, this question that came up was from somebody who was reading something I did a while ago about substituting a GPS for... A DME on an approach or just in general that you can actually substitute a GPS as long as uh, obviously if it's installed properly and complies with the regulations and the, and the advisory circulars. So that's that was how that that precipitated that question as far as why do you does it doesn't say you know radar required here and over here it does not and on a VOR and, and on ILS it does. So that would be the the main reason there. It's really you know a lot of times you'll see in non radar environments uh, some way to do say say you'll see a holding pattern in lieu of a procedure turn, and you will actually be able to get down because you have an outer marker that you can navigate towards, as opposed to doing that approach uh, straight in. Now here's an interesting thing that it, this this is becoming a moot point almost because so many people have WAS. And they have GPSs that can get them down. And Sarasota is a very good example of that. That can actually get them down to 200 feet using their GPS. It's pretty wild. You're doing an LPV approach. And you, it's, I did one, gosh, it was a while ago, about a year or so ago, into Sarasota. And it was just, just wild, just being able to look up. And there you are at 200 feet just using the GPS and no ground-based facilities. And just, just phenomenal. That's, wow. So they, yeah. Anyway, so I, I beat that the that, that, that horse a little bit there, but it's very important to know that. That is one of those questions you will get if you're getting ready for your IFR exam. Uh, why do they have radar required on the charts? So, the next topic I'd like to talk about, uh, if everybody does is okay with that, is is talking. I actually wanted, wanted to add go ahead, something go ahead. real quick that I had learned because uh, you were talking about using DME with the GPS. It was something that I learned during instrument uh, my instrument instructor certificate. Is that and we were using the um, the Garmin 430 system there, and what I didn't realize um, for almost the first half of my training was when we were talking about DME on an ILS, and um, I, you know I didn't realize that you could basically pull up an ILS identifier as one of the nearest nav aids on the Garmin page. So when you scroll over to the nearest um, the nearest nav aids page, you can find or you can do you can tune in direct to an ILS frequency by putting in the I identifier from the chart. So if it's IGFK, you can actually input that into your GPS and get distance from that point. That was something that I didn't know 
um, for a while, and I learned that when I went through instructor training. Have Have you seen that, Carl, on the uh, on the nearest yes. page? Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. Oh my gosh, great, great point because. There's a, a there's a, an approach I do over in Lakeland uh, with all my students where they'll ask me, well, how do I define this point? I don't have a VOR in my airplane. As a matter of fact, there was a plane I used to own. Uh, we didn't have a v, uh, DME in our airplane. And you couldn't, in the letdown procedure on the VOR approach, you could come down to like, I think it was 1,200 feet. I, I don't know the numbers. But the, if you could identify this other point on the approach, you could actually get down to, I think it was 600 feet. Well, that's a big difference. And the only way you could identify that was with DME. Well, just like uh, Len just said there, we had the Garmin 430, and we said, oh, wait a minute, let's just put in nearest. You have that distance, so now you can let down, identify that point, because you're, say it's a 6 DME from, from uh, the VOR. So now you're able to identify that because you're 6 DME from the VOR. Great point, Len. I'm glad you brought that up. That's, yeah, uh, really, th that's really a what I real nuanced well, you know, the, the one thing that I didn't realize, I, I was familiar with the nearest page, and maybe I just hadn't paid close enough attention to it, but the biggest aha moment was when he showed me that you could specifically dial it in as a waypoint that you could go direct to or receive DME from. So that was, that was something that, that was a feature that I didn't, I wasn't aware of that became really helpful. Now, it's interesting you brought that up too, just uh, again, going on that, that nearest and direct to. You have to be, I think, careful on some of these approaches because if you're using your GPS to actually navigate on that VOR approach and you, you hit a direct to, then you'll actually go direct to that point. And that may not actually be the way you wanted to navigate on that approach. That's, that's another thing that we, we had talked about, if that makes sense. In other words, if you put direct to, you'll be direct to a point in the space where you already loaded your approach in and you're intercepting a radial inbound. So I guess another way that you could set that up is, is a, a radial, you know, direct to, but a, a radial on your uh, 430. That's another way to do that. I will have to go out and fly and try that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want to give that a roll. You're correct. The way we used to do it was we had two of the, uh, you know, we had two 430s. So I would just go to the nearest page on the number two, and um, you know, as as a backup, while watching. So I'd always load the ILS into the GPS just as a reference. Plus, I would load in the, you know, on the second uh, 430, I would go to that nearest navade page and watch the DME. Uh, from there as well, but yeah, you're definitely right. Where you don't want to accidentally go direct to, and then you're going to be off a published port, an actual published portion um, of the procedure, the charted procedure. You know, another another point to bring up here too is when you're doing all these approaches. Now we're starting to do some more IFR approaches, etc. We're all getting out there flying. Another thing you need to do is make sure you have the correct database because things do change. And I'll have to admit, I, I actually went out flying one day, and I thought I had the current database. It was kind of a, a dirty trick. Somebody uh, had swapped out our database card so that they could go flying, which you're not supposed to do. And uh, I thought that the, the date was correct on there, and it was not because it was actually one day later. In other words, said, say it said the, it's, uh, the 20th is current, and we were flying uh, – on the we were flying on the excuse me we were flying on the twentieth and the database expired on the nineteenth. I was like, oh man, you know, I just know I thought it was the nineteenth and it was really the twentieth, and there was a change to the procedure we we're going to use. So that's very important also to make sure you do have the correct database and don't steal people's <laughs> cards. 
<laughs> that's the next point. Yeah. Oh boy, that was that was a tough one. But yeah, that's good good stuff, Len. I, I'm glad you you brought that up. Is how do you how do you navigate to a point in space, and that's uh, using your DME, and you can do it right off the VOR. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, but any other questions before we move on to the next topic that I have here? Um, the next topic that I wanted to talk about a little bit here. Uh, or a lot, I should say. We are all getting ready to go flying. I know the weather's been good, and uh, it's actually now that people are really starting to get into the air and starting to fly more actively. I'm noticing it at the airports. The one thing that I am a big proponent of, and I think any flight instructor or any good pilot is, is to become proficient. There's There's a big difference between being legal and then being proficient in what you're doing. And uh, I know that Rick will kind of interject here too yeah. about his his experience as far as not just becoming legal but proficient. You you recently actually did a flight that actually helped you yeah, get I, a little bit more proficient. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, there were two flights. A couple of weeks ago, I, I went back for a check ride, sort of a check out in the plane that I've flown for for a lot of hours, but not in a long time. Um, and uh, and that was great. And you know, I wasn't far off from from you know being pretty, pretty solid with it. It was pretty good. I learned a lot. I, you know, I treated it like a, like, you know, like they tell you, like I tell people to treat your check ride, which is a chance to learn while you're showing what you can do. And so I asked a lot of questions and, you know, it was great. So then a couple of weeks later, this just past weekend, um, I had an opportunity to go flying and I was going to go fly myself. And then I had a chance to fly with a friend and, um, who is a pilot. And it was a, I, you know, Partly I've been spending time as a new pilot getting used to flying and trying to be proficient at it. But what I got out of flying with someone was that um, was just a comfort level of being back in the air, knowing that I was, you know, that I could do what I knew how to do, but also that I had somebody with me who got what, what I was doing too. And um, so I guess what I thought that I would say to people um, about that is um, if you haven't flown in a while or you're just, you know, trying to get back into it, Go flying with somebody, and especially go flying with a with a pilot that you are friends with, um, because it gets you right back in there. And what we did, uh, this was um, Andrew Blanchard, who was a um, who was the uh, young pilot who's uh, training at Purdue that we did a we did a, a show about and um, about what that experience was like at college. And he and I I'd never flown with him before. We'd only flown to meet each other in places. And he's just learned so much because he's put a ton of hours in a very concentrated period of time at Purdue. And um, you know, you'll end up seeing some videos on my YouTube channel from that flight. And we split, we, you know, we did it, we split the cockpit. So he handled uh, communications and I did the flying. And, um, and uh, it was great. It, and I learned a lot from him. There was a great, it was a great sharing time. You know, it was just a really cool flight. So, so if there's a sort of message there is as you're getting back into it, I would say not don't just drag a friend up to go flying, but maybe find a, you know, a, a pilot that you can hang with. And that's a that's a great way to get back started because you're you're both especially if you trust each other, and know each other, you'll be checking each other the whole time and learning stuff and, you know, being ahead of the plane. So it was a, it was a blast. Grateful. Great flight. Yeah, we went down to Martha's Vineyard and oh, um, cool. yeah, it was cool. It was a, a early season you know, not too crowded at all, which in a few months is not true. But no. it was great today, uh, this weekend. You know, it's interesting you brought that up because a lot of guys that fly in, say, crew situations like Len and I do, we always have people checking each other. You know, we're always, 
you know, reminding the person next to us, or not always, but you try to, you know, a little decorum here. You say, hey, listen, yeah. by the way, you know, uh, this is uh, your your headings off, <laughs> right? That type of thing, and I think that's that's really cool. Well, you, and, you know, each other to a standard. we're at about the same level of of ours, although his has been so much more concentrated. Uh, but there was just times where I could say, you know, how, now how would you handle this? Or how here's what I'm going to do. Uh, is that what you would do? You know, and we would um, even in you know in approaches and stuff just. And it was just almost like a learning experience as well as um, just having a great time flying. And so it's it's good. I, again, I'm the greenest you know kind of pilot on the show here. And so I'm still figuring out what works for me as a pilot with other people in the plane, not in the plane, frequency of flying, learning, you know. And uh, and it was uh, it was cool. And, you know, I, I, we're going to do it again or I'll do it with some other people and I'll start to get back up there with people because it's – it's it was fun and it really got me back into it when I had been off for quite a while. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And there's a video to follow, right? Or no? Right? Yeah, no, definitely there will be. There, um, there, there's probably yeah. I think that's the next one. So you, yeah, look up um, recent um, sort of May time frame. Uh, if you go to my channel and look for the, for some recent stuff going to Martha's Vineyard, that'll be us, and you'll get there. You know, great radio work. I mean, he's he's really learned a lot about you know, efficient. He's just, it was right on. And he, it, it, it was, um, it was very cool to listen to him, uh, do that. And, um, yeah, definitely gonna, definitely gonna put some videos up. I would say that what was interesting is I used to land for a long time in the last, you know, five to 10 flights I've for the Cessna that I fly, I've really gotten the speeds down pretty nicely. You know, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so the landings have all improved, you know, it's all gotten better. And even with a lot of time off, I knew, you know, I was better at it than I had been, you say, a year, you know, a year ago, whatever. And often in the in the uh, early days of learning to fly, I remember that I would always just come in fast and high because I think it felt safer when you're a student. That's probably universally true. You know, I don't want to get too slow. And, you know, gee, those trees look big. And I think <laughs> I'll be up here higher. And um, and what was funny about this weekend, and, and I and in watching the videos, you'll probably, you'll see these, um, uh, very low powered approaches. I mean, I was, it was very flat and I, and I was not as high. Part of that was because how, how I approached and, um, and I learned something from that too. So the next time up, I'm going to, you know, try to have a slightly steeper, uh, angle, uh, heading in. But, um, but you know, and it didn't seem low. It didn't, it seemed low, but it didn't seem dangerously low. But as I look at the video, it's like, oh, that was a little lower than I thought. So, uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll correct that next time. So, um, that's sort of just, I was comfortable and it was working, but it's definitely different. And I've learned, uh, I've learned some different things and every time, you know, it's a new experience and you learn something. So, and great to have another pair of eyes there too. So. Well, Rick, you always have a bunch of eyes in the cockpit. Your cameras are everywhere. <laughs> right. Well, it's fun. And I love looking at them again. Cause that's why, you know, I can go, Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that that had happened or that I would, you know, I just, I didn't see that at the time cause I was focused on this other thing. So um, it's uh, it's fun. It sometimes it takes a, the pre-flight takes a little longer, but that's a whole other show. <laughs> that is. I want to I want to see Rick now get into the business of making instructional videos. I think that should be a topic. Okay. Yes, it should. How to sure. do videos in the plane? Yeah. Oh, a, I should get to make a decent video that's not involving me holding a camera sticking yeah. it out somewhere. So. Yeah, we could cover a bunch of we things. Should Len, do Len, that. Len and I both have a, a bunch of experience yeah. with various. I'm, 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 I will say this, I'm close to thinking about, I've been thinking about how to do an external camera, uh, and, and, and I haven't done it yet, because I just have concerns, but I, I see enough people doing it that I think I may do that again at some point, for the first time, I mean. So, that's another topic. Len, over, over, over to you. 
I was I was going to say on the on the external external camera topic. I'm I'm personally not sold on it yet. I know a lot of people are doing it, but uh, I, no, I agree with you. I can't. I'm still a little uncomfortable on that. Maybe I guess the legality of it. I haven't really right. felt it, felt a clear uh, description of what is and what isn't the modification. And exactly. Well, uh, just to add to that point, there was just news recently. I guess you saw where that one uh, person is getting an STC. For the uh, putting mounting a camera for the GoPro on the bottom of the airplane, and he has I think there's gosh like 40 airplanes that he's been able to get that for, and now he has to be able to to actually sell that, and he's going through another process, and it looks pretty hopeful. Do you know who I'm talking about, Lance? Maybe we'll or anybody. Um, I think I have an idea, but I haven't heard about it, so we could talk about it offline and get some facts yeah. before we share anything. But uh, that would but be. It's not. It's I not mean, approved yet, be, but it's almost well, that's there. That's why I'd say, and yeah, we don't want to want to talk about anything that we don't have the proper facts on. But that would be. I mean, that would be the no-brainer. You know, that would be the, yeah. the fact that STC on it, then it's certified, then it's known, then it's. But if it's you're okay and it's safe for us renters, you know, it's never that you know you. So the question, and that's why I've never done it, because it actually, <laughs> thought there's a lot of airflow out there. Um, how, how good is that suction, you know? And, and so I'm not necessarily about to do it, but I, boy, it's just so many people that are, and, and so far seem to be doing it safely, but I agree with you. Uh, I can con- say one concerns. thing about the airflow. Um, yeah. I have a friend who puts it on his tail, and it's always when um, he's taken off, you know, you got the most throttle in there, all the wind over the... Um, the back of it makes it shake right so it's always shaky video in the beginning but then it smooths out and it's amazing you got some great yeah. footage yeah so the back's not bad because that if it i mean one of the concerns is if it flies off uh, where does it go yeah. i mean not let alone people on the ground but does it hit another part of the plane um so whatever we'll have to talk about this on another show but it's a it's a i wish i knew there was a definite approach to doing this that was legal and safe and known to be good and i don't think that's true and, but, well, but, boy, this, I want to do it because it looks so great. Well, with this STC process, just as another quick comment, you, you can get the STC, but now you have to be able to sell it uh-huh. and, and, and give it to other repair stations. So there's a, a second part of that process that oh, hasn't been approved. Well, so, anyway, I mean, I know that's well, – we're off topic. Yeah. But, <laughs> yes, we are. But, okay. um, so go that flying, go, go flying <laughs> and keep, keep the cameras inside for now. That's for sure. Um, anyway, so that that's uh, we talked a little bit about I mean, uh, getting getting perf- proficient. Yeah, proficiency. Get yeah, I think that's the trick is heading back into the summer if you've been off for a while. Don't don't um, don't just assume that you know you know that you're going to be right where you were before. You might not. You might it might be worth it for you to to uh, get go up with somebody. You know, and, and you know a lot of people start using their instrument. Uh, actually rating more here in the summer, which kind of seems counterintuitive, but it's true because you're flying more and there's a lot of mornings where it's foggy out and you need to get out and you need to get into somewhere and uh, it's lower visibility and you're flying, so you're not quite as proficient as you were right at the uh, beginning of the season. So part of that proficiency isn't just VFR, and it's actually getting IFR proficient. And you know what? If you get a chance, go out in a simulator or something and, and do some approaches, then get in your airplane, and you can bang out so much in that simulator. That's actually something that I'm uh, looking at doing in the next week or so is doing a little bit of instrument training in a simulator, and I think it's terrific. It really do- it knocks the rust off. It does it at a less expensive, uh, you know, the cost is less, and also uh, you can do a lot more in a simulator that you can't do in the airplane. When you get into the airplane after the simulator, I feel sometimes you're you're a lot more confident. Of course, if the uh, the airplane is is cheaper, then 
yeah, I guess you could do that, but you're not going to be able to fail certain systems that you, you could in a simulator. So I, I highly recommend going out in the simulator and, and jumping in and do that. So that's what another kind part of, of that. Simulator. Uh, actually, an ATD, you know, advanced training device. Okay. Uh, the one that I'm going in, it's called a Redbird. Yeah. Uh, that uh, th- it's that's a pretty cool. And they actually have a Redbird simulator. Oh, here's another thing too. They actually have a Redbird simulator that, and I haven't seen it yet. It's uh, does crosswinds. You know, you can practice crosswinds. Uh, it's the X-Wind or whatever, so that that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, but there's a lot of different... Elite has one. I've uh, used... Oh, gosh, I've used so many different types. Uh, when I use that generic term simulator, I'm glad you said something. I, you know, It yeah. could be an advanced training device. It also, and I think this is great, it could be your simulator, quote-unquote, at home, your training device, your basic training device at home. See, that's I a can't great use those for the life of me. I know no. it's not real, and I'm like bored in an instant. <laughs> <laughs> I have never been able to get into it, but my um, my boss has that. He's let me borrow it before. It looks like you just took the cockpit out of a Cessna. That's yeah, all it is. So you don't have the screen or anything, but it's just for instrument flying, and you're flying by the instruments, and you can dial in VORs and approaches and stuff, and it's it's kind of cool. So, uh, you know, back in the day, back in the day, we didn't have screen, we didn't have screens on our simulators when we yeah. were doing training. You know, they didn't have like the computer screens <laughs> and stuff like that. Back so in I, the when day, I, we didn't even have screens in the cockpit. <laughs> didn't have screens in the cockpit. <laughs> some 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 you had somebody there sketching it real quick. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's funny this you said. That we actually had a plotter on the side of the on, on the side of the device, and it was a physical device, and it was heavy, really heavy, and uh, you could dial in the VORs, and you had to really it was you had to be real careful, and you know let it warm up a little, and then okay, it's good to go, and and now they have all these really fancy new devices that you just turn on, they work. It's it's amazing how far it's come, and uh, everything. You know, it, it's funny something you said, Victoria. Though that's yeah, I'd have to add to is. Even if you're bored with it, I know I get bored. One of the cool things is to actually do the approaches before you go in the airplane procedurally and not so much fly it. Let the, let the uh, autopilot do it just so you can see it. Say, okay, at this point, I'm going to put my notch of flaps in. I'm going to go, you know, just walk yourself through it, visualize it before you actually go and fly. And that's a great way to do it in the simulator is shoot your approaches the day before in the simulator. And you'll, when you get in the airplane, you'll, you'll be ready for them because you actually have the numbers in your head already not that you should memorize them but you know you actually be able to be ready for that approach um the uh gosh we're we're running a little long here on this one so any as far as 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 proficiency again IFR VFR get out there there's lots of seminars seminars on charts there's seminars on on doing landings and everything there's free seminars out there you can go to there's the Air Safety Institute with AOPA there's the FAST team which I highly recommend, the FAA safety team. There's all sorts of neat seminars going on right now uh, at somewhere near you that you can attend and get credit for, plus you know, it'll add to your proficiency. So I really recommend doing that. Uh, my, uh, I have one more quick topic. Uh, I know we're getting a little long here, but the one last topic I want to talk about is an IFR question, quote-unquote, but it's really, it comes from an a, uh, a airplane spotter, and it's... Uh, Dave Abbey, he uh, follows us on Twitter. He's a, a fan of the podcast. And he had asked a long time ago about those flashing lights on the approach uh, lights at the airport because he sits there and watches. And they're like, uh, some people call it the rabbit. It's a, it's a sequence flashing light is what it's called. So, and it's uh, these strobe lights that go from way out on the approach all the way in. And it allows you to, to better align with the runway visually as you're approaching, and they're called the SFLs, or Sequence Flashing Lights. 
this is the here is the question, and this is that that was posed to us: if the sequence flashing lights, and this is an IFR question, are not working in the approach light system, you know, say it's an ALSF two. These are different types of approaches we're talking about. If the sequence flashers are not working, do you take a penalty? In other words, do you have to raise the minimums, the visibility? for that approach. And actually, the answer we came up with is no. Uh, we've actually been going round and round with the uh, FAA on this one because it's very, very difficult to find an answer to that question. But no, it's uh, this from everything we've discussed and all, it's maybe part of that system, but it doesn't have to be part of the system. Those sequence flashers. So Dave Abbey, thanks for that question as far as what those lights were. They're called the sequence flashing lights. And, or the, and they just lead you down into the runway. And the way that they flash, you actually, it's like following a rabbit. That's what they call it, the rabbit. Uh, so when you're actually landing and you're in the air, you can watch it going. Have you guys ever seen the, the sequence flashing lights, by the way, Rick? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I know what you're talking about. And, and those, those are, you would think that, see, here's an interesting rule. It says that you have to uh, have all portions of the approach light system working or any of the lighting systems working. But are the sequence fl flashes part of that? And everything we've read and all the discussions I've had with the designated pilot examiners and also with the FAA says no. I am waiting, though, from an official answer from the FAA on this question, uh, from uh, not just a verbal one, but they're, they're going to give me a written answer uh, as to this question. Do I need or do you need, uh, if you're using an approach light system, do I need to raise my visibility minimums? You know, when you look in the approach uh, charts, you actually see on there that you have to change your minimums if certain elements of that approach is not working as far as the lights are concerned. Say your touchdown zone lights aren't working, your center line lights aren't working, your approach lights, your whole approach light systems are out, usually you have to raise your minimums. In other words, it's not a half a mile anymore. Maybe it's going to be three quarters of a mile or you might need a mile visibility. That can make a huge difference if you're landing in a half a mile visibility. So this is something that uh, we came up with. The answer is that, no, you don't need them. I am getting an official answer back, and I will, I will come back with that. But I did want to get back because Dave Abbey has been very patient. He asked this question like a month or two ago. And uh, so I uh, definitely want to get back to everybody. Even if you're not a pilot, Dave's not a pilot. He, he's just so interested in airplanes. So uh, we like to hear questions from everybody. So the sequence flashing lights, do you need them for the approach? No. And, uh, again, we're going to get an official answer from the FAA. And that's I can't all I have for them. You're actually going to get an official answer. Well, actually, it's funny because they put off the question and uh, and the answer to it. It's like the other one that I've been asking is well, uh, I'll bring it up. But is is uh, is flight instruction considered commercial flying? And and at different FISDOs, you will get different answers. And uh, certain FISDOs yeah. say yes, certain say no. I say no. Uh, and uh, but we'll we can get that's a whole nother topic for discussion that we can get into on another uh, you know podcast etc. And uh, but we'll we'll go there some other day. So again, sequence flashers. Now you know that uh, radar required. You know a little bit about that and uh, getting proficiency before you uh, head out there and start really flying a lot this summer and flying to those really cool fly-ins and air shows. All the ones happening in June, by the way. June, everything's in June. <laughs> <laughs> Picks of the week. Fantastic. Well, let's move along over to the picks of the week here, and this is a uh, for uh, you know where we get to share some new products so that we've either come stumbled upon or that we've uh, used before, and uh, that we want to share with you. And we'll start with Victoria. You did mention the Mup Muffs. In fact, I almost thought that you might have used them during your original uh, your original discussion on flying with pets, but 
Um, you know, you're saying Turbo really enjoys them. Any any feedback as uh, some do's and don'ts from Mutt Muff specifically? Yeah, actually, I looked up my pick of the week and I talked about um, doggy friendly places to fly. But I think I mentioned the Mutt Muffs before that I would look into purchasing them. So now that I have them, um, they're a little weird to get used to because it's all Velcro on the top and bottom. Um, takes a little adjusting to get it perfect on the dog because every dog's ears are different. Turbo's ears stick up. Some people, some dogs have lopsided ears, you know, some dogs have straight up ears. So, um, it takes a while to get the, get the fit right. But once you have the fit right and your dog stops growing, um, it should be as easy as, you know, strapping it on and he loves it. He doesn't care. He doesn't even try to take them off because he knows that, you know, it's, it's quieter. So it obviously makes a, a big difference from him in the airplane. Now they just need to invent microphones so he can hear us when we talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Yelling isn't working or speaking loudly? A little bit, yeah. I, I think he just wants to ignore me. <laughs> but I think it would be super cute if he had like a little, it could even be made out of rawhide, like a little mic there. So it looks like he can talk to us. <laughs> but um, maybe, Well, there you go. There's your million dollar idea. There you go. I'll just have to join in on the Mutt Muffs community here. Um, you can actually, they have a list of all the retailers where you can buy them at at safeandsoundpets.com is the website that tells all about them. Um, aircraft Spruce, Sporties, all kinds of places carry them. I've seen them at Oshkosh. So um, they're pretty popular. Go to all the trade shows and, you know, have been really helpful for dogs to fly. Cool. Uh, Rick, tell us about your pick of the week. Yeah, um, the, just recently was doing some, some planning and um, looking at various bits of information about the 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 flight we were going to make and um and you know i was reading through and find and, and looking at different places i could find different bits of information and one of the things i went looking for was notums just to see gee what if there's an easier way to do this and of course there's an app for that and uh so i went and got it i would say it's it's a little more than um i would have wanted to pay for something so simple you know it's like it's not 99 cents it's like 4.99 which i think is a little overpriced but um, it's based a very basic app. You type in where you're leaving and where you're going and what your alternate is and say, go. And it will then show you all uh, the notums on that route, airport to airport and in between. Uh, you can specify various features of the um, the buffers, like 20 nautical miles, I think, on either side of the track. And um, it's just a solid way to say, Here, here's all the stuff that's going on in this, you know, of this type on your route. And I thought it was kind of cool, and I, and I like it. So um, wish wish it was slightly less expensive, a bigger recommendation if it, if it were. But it's called Notams. <laughs> just look up Notams, N-O-T-A-M, uh, small s, um, and you'll find it. And it's an iOS app, and uh, it's simple enough, though, that I bet it's out there for everybody. And that's it. So what was the price? $4.99. $4.99. I bet you it's there for Android. Uh, I can look that up while someone else is talking and let you know before we're done. I can too. Yeah, yeah, I bet you. It's too simple to not. It's just pulling data. But it's, uh, you know, so I bet it's uh, out there for everybody. Well, you know, it's funny how I I think on the last show I mentioned that that app that I was using, MyRadar Pro, and that came in extremely handy this week. Um, I actually, I didn't realize that to get some of the weather warnings, it was a paid, uh, it was a, as an additional paid feature. So I actually went and bought, um, it was like $3.99 and I paid for the, the weather warnings feature because mm-hmm. I was watching uh, this week when we were in Arkansas and Tennessee, I was watching 
the segments, uh, the convective segments, and I was watching the weather warnings for the tornadoes and the hail. Um, and I didn't have that information previously. And when I went to go to it on the application, it asked me, would you like to purchase this? And uh-huh. I was like, well, you know, I don't really want to purchase this, but a tornado is headed my way. So, okay, yeah. you can have my three ninety nine. That's that, that's for that. That's a good price. <laughs> um, so that was something I learned, but I did actually want to briefly talk about a new item that I saw. Uh, in fact, I was just reading about these this afternoon on my way um, prior to, to, to flying home uh, from work. And it's not a device that I've used. It's not a device that I have any experience with. But there was a press release that came out uh, May 13th of this year, 2013. We've talked about Spot Messenger. We've talked about uh, a couple of the different devices, satellite messaging devices that they have. They actually came out with a satellite telephone. Now, um, I don't, again, I don't have any specific use or knowledge about the particular device, but I thought it was cool that they were coming out with an additional device, an additional communicator. Uh, Right now, the price is uh, $499, and it's, you know, it's going to be operating off of the same satellite network that they currently use for the messengers, which if I, don't quote me, I think it was called Global Star I guess there's a what I'm what I've learned today actually was there's a couple of satellite networks for for telecommunication purposes. One is the Iridium system, another is Global Star, and I think the third is Inmarsat. So I was trying to get some information, um, you know, as to which system was good, which devices were good. You know, I'm interested in purchasing one of these items so that I can go out and get lost in the woods for a weekend, and and if I need help, I need help. But anyway, I just wanted to kind of bring it up because I, I was intrigued by the fact that they had come out with an additional device, and it actually just happened in the last week or so. Uh, so it's it's by Spot Messenger, and it's their satellite phone. Again, I don't have any experience with it, just something that I saw come across. And uh, I'm actually sitting in the parking lot of Bass Pro Shops. I'm about to go in and check out satellite phones. So if I find any good info, I'll report back on the next show. Um, cool. But uh, Carl, tell us about your pick of the week. You know, everybody's going to think I'm a really geeky pilot now. And uh, yes, I'll admit I'm an airplane geek. You know, I, I fly planes all the time. And what would you think I do on my time off? Well, I watch airplanes on the Internet, on YouTube. Can you believe that? Well, there's a YouTube channel that I watch that's actually part of a commercial organization uh, that tries to sell you videos, but I love watching their videos. It's called JustPlanes.com. But it's on uh, the one that I'm uh, recommending you look at is actually the YouTube channel, Just Planes YouTube channel, which is where they give you a little sample of like the videos that you want to watch on their, the ones that you can download. For instance, they have Blu-ray and things like that. Some pretty cool stuff. If you want to get inside the cockpit of an airliner, go along for a trip, just like uh, a lot of people do, like watching the trains, videos, that type of thing. If, you, if you're into that, this is a really cool thing because you get to see what the switches, the lights, and all that, and they actually go through uh, entire flights or they have some really cool, really high-definition video uh, that you can watch. If you purchase it, it's a regular uh, definition if you don't purchase it, but it's really cool. So it's uh, on the YouTube channel, Just Planes, J-U-S-T Planes. Sweet. So you're telling us that you don't watch Rick's videos. That's really that was no, really no, nice. No, he does. <laughs> no, actually, I do. I, I watch not all of them. Boy, Rick, you are just you have more videos than some of these commercial producers. Yeah, you really do. You've done a, quite a quite well. This, this last yeah, now I'm back. Sort of, I, I was milking it for a while there because it just wasn't getting up in the air. But but this is going to be fun to start doing it again. Yeah, it's awesome. Can't wait. Yeah, it's fun. 
Yeah, it is fun. It's fun to see what, what other people are doing. The After Landing Checklist. Uh, Victoria, tell us, how we, uh, tell us how folks can get in touch with you. Uh, you can get all my contact info over at my blog, which is toriaflies.blogspot.com. How about Carl? Uh, you can find uh, all my contact info at expertaviator.com or on my podcast, aviationcareerspodcast.com. And Rick? R. Felty on Twitter, R.D. Felty on YouTube, and rotationspeed.com. And you can get in touch with me through Twitter. My handle is at Len Costa. Of course, you can reach this, the, uh, all of us here at the podcast via email, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. There's a contact page also on the website. You could call us, too. We do have a voicemail system. Yeah, I tried that. Well, we have two. We've got the huh? which one? Let's see. You did. You used the one on the uh, on the website. Website. Click on yeah. a button. Leave a voice message. Very cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Uh, so plenty of ways to get a hold of us. We always enjoy hearing from you. Your questions, comments, and everything that uh, is podcast and flying related. Please do uh, send us some some more mail. We love getting that from you. So for myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, Victoria Newville, and um, our absentee Sean Moody. We appreciate. Uh, you listen in. We always enjoy sitting down and recording this show for you. But thanks again for tuning in to episode number 49 of the Stuck Mike Abcast. We wish you first guys and comrades. Take care. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa Production.